Hi and welcome to Keep It in the Family, a podcast series in association with Quilter. I'm Katrin Schindler from CityWire and today I'm joined by Ian Brown, who's a retirement expert at Quilter, and Sean Wood, who's a managing director at wealth management firm Simpson Wood. In this episode, we take a look at the key risks and opportunities advisors are facing these days. What are actually the key risks for advisors, especially for those who mainly have baby boomers in their client banks? Sean, do you want to um, kick us off? Well, the risks are quite clearly twofold. Um, one, you lose connection. And then for the advisor's point of view, the management of the wealth. Mm -hmm. So you lose the fees and the fee income. Um, and two is you're out of touch with the next generation. Obviously, the, the latter one will lead to the former. Yeah. Um, those are the defining risks that you have. That you, If you don't want the money to walk out the door, it's generally going to happen if you don't preempt the problem, I would say, a good 10 years plus hmm. before death. You know, yeah. realistically, the conversations I have with clients around um, introducing me to their children and grandchildren, if there's not an inheritance tax problem, mm -hmm. is generally around about 72 to 75. Hmm. So you you know, you're 10, 12 years before life expectancy. Yeah. Mm. I think Sean's absolutely right. You know, with a baby boomer client bank, you've got that longevity risk that you've mm. touched on and then it's that retention risk. You know, I think there's quite a well quoted stat that you know, 70% of spouses that lose a partner leave the advisor and that's because and a, a relationship with the advisor mm. isn't there. If you've invested in building that trusted relationship with the spouse and the children mm -hmm. and the grandchildren, they know who you are and they know that you're a trusted mm. expert, that's going to make a massive difference when, when that event occurs. One thing I'd like to touch on, which Ian mentioned, um, how do you build that relationship with other family members, actually? Um, I, I think it's about finding the right moment. You know, the, the times when... Um, they're willing to to listen and want want to hear what you have to say. It's kind of thinking about those times where I saw this and thought of you. You know, if, if you're aware that, for example, one of your clients, they've got an adult child who's who's about to buy a house or something, mm. and you see an article about um, buying a house and what the latest state of the market is, what's going on with mortgage rates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you can share that article and say, "Hey, I, I saw this. I thought about your your your, your son or your daughter." No, here's something you can share with them and know and all of a sudden you're mm. kind of showing that that attentiveness to mm. the to their needs and what's going on i would say it completely depends on the overall wealth of the clients mm -hmm. if they've got enough wealth that they have an inheritance tax problem and their income significantly exceeds their outgoings so sustainability is not a problem you can start the conversation really early okay. and set in place a full holistic plan of saying, right, you're 67, over the course of the next 14 years, we can remove from your estate 1.3 million pounds plus growth, and you've potentially got access to it. And therefore you've also got surplus income we can gift away. You don't need the rest of this wealth. Mm -hmm. But if I think back to a conversation I had earlier this week with some clients whereby they're 74 and 73, mm -hmm. um, have been really outgoing people, but not as wealthy that they've not, no inheritance tax problem. They're sustainability of their withdrawals is pretty tight. Yeah. Um, the conversation changed and actually I brought the children up in, in the review meeting this time, more so because she'd broken uh, a bone in her leg. They can't go cruising this year. So they're really thinking about things. It got a little bit of a more of a downer tone, 
and I had to then bring up and say, we were talking about sustainability of withdrawals, what they're going to do over the next five years, mm -hmm. and then said, are your wills and power of attorneys in place? Yes, we need power of attorneys. How important is it? How much do they cost? I said, who is the executor of your will? Which of your children? Mm -hmm. Would you mind emailing said child and CC me in and introduce us together should the worst happen to both yeah. of you two? Then the relationship is already created and we're not looking for each other. Because there's no, you know, there's no real planning there to do for these clients. Just opening the door is enough. Is enough in terms of when they've got more wealth and it's a bit more to it than that. Mm -hmm. um, I find a good avenue in as well as on top of the inheritance tax problem, advising them to create a pension for their children, mm -hmm. create some sort of vehicle for the children, because I think one of the most overlooked aspects as to why you would lose a child as a client is your track record. If you don't have a track record that you can deliver planning and deliver good wealth management, yeah. why should why should they trust you? you True. Know? Would you agree that it's easier to get the the other family members on board if you have convinced the mom that your business is actually a good idea? Because studies show that the matriarch in a family has quite a lot of staying power. Is that something you have experienced as well? I mean, that, that's certainly um, what the academic thinking is, is that the matriarch is very important in terms of a family and is very influential. And certainly from a, a trust perspective, you know, who do you trust in your family? I trust my mum. <laughs> I think you could say yeah. that. <laughs> so if your mum is uh, encouraging you, for example, to, to speak to a financial advisor, you know, making a, a referral and saying, look, there's an expert here who could really help you that's going to be very influential and certainly our, our research at Quilter has identified that that is the case. Mm. I'm torn on that question, to be honest. Um, Tell me. The lady of the household, again, Tree, talking about generations that are in the 70s and the 80s now, the lady of the household quite often would manage the finances of the house. So their trust is important. Mm -hmm. Now, what they also would do is, is also hold an awful lot of cash and then decisions to invest money from cash to investments would quite often be the husband would say, this ma this makes long-term strategic sense. Um, and my experience with clients in terms of the children would then be, father would have wanted us to do this. Hmm. I would have trusted the father's opinion. Don't get me wrong. The major player in, in this one in terms of the children staying with you is if the mum and, mum and or dad already trusted you, mm. that goes a long way. Yeah. Mm. yeah, That trust is what you're after. True. I think Sean raises a two really important points one one is around you no know, the attitude to investment differences between men and women i think there is a, a stark difference between the two and i think women are, are far more conservative in nature and then the other one is around you no know, we're talking about inheritance planning here but you've just highlighted that you only get to that inheritance plan once you've sorted out the needs of the client absolutely today mm -hmm. yep. that's a very common conversation that we have with the bread and butter type demographic early 50s kids are you know getting to just finishing university maybe or getting to university um and parents are still thinking about how they prepare their kids at 26 27 to buy weddings and houses mm -hmm. it's like whoa have you got enough to do that you mean they're thinking of others first before they think about themselves absolutely and you say look you've been a really good mom a really good dad You've done all kinds. Your retirement plan is the next most important thing. If you've got an inheritance tax bill up then, that's a good problem to have. Let's try and mitigate that then. Um, but what 
preparing and paying for your children's weddings before your retirement, yeah. in my opinion, shouldn't. It doesn't always go down well. My opinion shouldn't necessarily be the first thing at your mind. Mm. So clients aren't actually that receptive to intergenerational wealth plans? Um, varies. It varies. Um, they like the they don't like the idea of paying more in tax because they've paid enough over their lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's a key driver. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of handing money over directly to children, um, I would say it's still pretty resistant to it. Mm. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to control. Yeah. I think they don't like giving away the control, certainly in terms of I've just given a, a young adult a big amount of money. That's kind of a big no-no. But you can put control around um, you know, wealth in a way that it's still cascading down the generations. Mm. You know, things like trusts or investing in a pension. Mm. Um, so that's you know, there's, there's an access uh, restriction there. Um, but it, it, it's, um, there is a, certainly a, an emotional element to giving the money away. No, if you're talking about intergenerational wealth planning, this is not something you can do on your deathbed. Mm. This is something you need to do, you know, 10, 20 years of planning in advance, putting the right structures in place, you know, making use of all those allowances that you've touched on. There's an awful lot that needs to be done here over time. One of the big differences that's brought this to be a conversation that happens much earlier than it used to do mm. is the pension death benefits changes. The fact that you know, you factor into the retirement, the retirement plan of somebody who's 61, 62, talking about when they're going to retire and their, their income is going to be extracted from their general account, their ISA, the bond, mm -hmm. because they've got an inheritance tax problem and that pension until you're 75 is extremely tax efficient. We'll start taking the pension at 75. That's when it makes most tax sense to do so. Spend your estate and bring your IHT bill down um, or gift away, but in essence, it's allowed to bring forward conversations mm. about death benefits and what happens because it's tax-free until you're 75. Yeah, so, you, you need to be yeah. so agile, don't you, with how you manage the various different yeah. amounts of wealth that you have in, let's say, pensions and ISAs, mm. et cetera. And that's where you know, the value of financial advice really comes into mm. play. Mm. I'd, be, I'd be quite interested in Sean's views around how you know, with the younger generations of clients if they're linked you know, through family relations with older clients that you've also got within yeah. your client bank because they might not be the most profitable clients today, but you know that that inheritance yeah. is coming yeah. and you've obviously invested a lot of time and effort in managing that wealth to that point to then be able to continue that service and be able to continue to you know, demonstrate the value of your advice, I'd imagine is, is a great thing for your business. One the people... One, the children and grandchildren who you know are going to inherit mm. that that whether they're successful in their own right or not doesn't really come into it. You know that they're going to get the wealth, so you will need to demonstrate you've done everything you can. You're more than competent financial planners, and you're good wealth managers as well that can generate returns. The people that are not associated to that and that are pretend you can, but you can see a potential high flyers and are going to create their own wealth in their own right. Mm. You still need to demonstrate your value and demonstrate the planning and show them that there is a reason why they need to have an advisor on side every year, even in your 30s and 40s. Would you say there's a market gap for advisors who don't cater to that, to those clients who aren't that well off? But who's going to pay for the advice? 
That's the problem. Um, go and find a financial advisor as and when you think you need one. And mm -hmm. if you don't know when that is, then go now. Because you'll get a free initial consultation because most advisors give you a, a one meeting for free. Then for there and then you should be informed enough to decide when I'm going to need to part with my cash and pay somebody some fees to give me some advice. Mm -hmm. And if the advisor can't demonstrate value for the fees he's charging, he's not good enough at his job. Or she, he or she's not good enough at his job. True that. Coming back to the risks advisors businesses are facing, mm -hmm. have they changed compared to maybe 10 years ago? Ian, what would you say? Um, well, no, when we were talking earlier on, when we were discussing about that longevity risk, that uh, retention risk, No, the longevity risk is increasing. Advisors, client banks are aging. The clients are getting older, so they need that kind of younger generation replacement coming through. Um, and it comes back then to the, re the retention risk. And I think that's that's getting bigger and certainly has done over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of debate now about the great wealth transfer that's happening. A trillion pounds is going to transfer over 10 years. Um, 17, I think I read the other day, you no, know, 17 billion is, is gifted or loaned informally each year from, from, from parents to adult children. You know, we're seeing this transfer of wealth. It's, it, it's slowly moving its way down to the younger generations. Um, so that retention risk, I think, is going to become more and more acute. Mm -hmm. I think the, the risks are different, um, but are they more challenging? I believe now we have a more beneficial time whereby we can pick up the new clients because they've now, their father has now sold the business. That's an instant, you know, four, five, 10, 15 million pounds you can manage. Um, and yes, you manage it for, for the father and meet the son who, who mm. runs the business or you get the gist. Just an element of the conversation I was when I was making my notes, I thought about, I thought, well, it is different, but is it more challenging? I don't think so. I think it had been harder when you had an abundance of financial advisors everywhere. Everyone knew the the old man from the Peru yeah. and all the other life companies. As Sean is, is saying that, obviously you, you paint a really vivid picture around you know, the entrepreneurs selling businesses, etc. I think of the of maybe the, the clients, the, the next level down, who maybe aren't as, as wealthy as that. Mm. You no, know, 10 years ago, for, for example, you know, the retirement market was very different. Lots more people were going mm. into annuities. Now with pension freedoms, there's a lot more income drawdown available. I think that transition has, has changed the, mm. the dynamic around yeah. you know, intergenerational wealth planning. No, we've touched on it already. Mm. And it's actually drawn alongside some other factors like freezing of the allowances and the, the thresholds, etc., of more and more people getting caught into this kind of IHT net um inheritance now is probably more complicated for more people than it was in the past i would say not not necessarily that the risks have changed but the way we advise is different and how we talk to clients is now different expression of wishes document you mm -hmm. need to have your, your wife on there your husband and nominate your children on there as potential beneficiaries because explaining that they will get their own nominee drawdown account to look after and i believe that that means there's an awful lot more wealth to pass on because it's not in, it's not been annuitized and just stops. Sounds rather optimistic. Are there any other green shoots of growth advisors should be focusing on? Um, technology. Um, I briefly mentioned to Ian outside before we started this that 
I'm not hugely, I don't honestly believe that the under 40s, under 35s, the real millennials is the opportunity. I believe that, you know, the business, you still focus your business on your, your target market and the next target market. Worry about the millennials and the sub 45s in five, 10, 15 years time. The green shoots though are still technology. I explained the conversation I had with a friend of mine who was like 48, mm -hmm. sold his business. And I was talking, what would get you to move? Is it performance? He said, do you know what bugs me? He says, they don't have a client portal. I can't just log on and see an app and see all my pensions and my ISAs and everything there. I, I have to log in online on the laptop. It yeah. seems a bit archaic and annoying. And that was the first light bulb moment. And it was about a year ago where I thought, mm. and that's an exa example where he's the minority. So that's where you aim your business. You're not aiming your business at the, the TikTok fans and what have you else that are 21 mm -hmm. to 28. But think of the next one. I certainly agree that, you know, technology is going to play a key part in terms of those green shoots. Um, the expectation level now these days is so much higher about the kind of service proposition that you provide, access to information, etc. So, you know, those portals or apps or whatever you want to, to label them as, um, being able to access that information at a time of their choosing, which is really convenient, you know, it might be at nine o'clock at night that they want to look at it. They don't want to be phoning up the advisor or mm -hmm. no, trying to rifle through paperwork, trying to find the statement. They just want to look at it on their phone like they look at everything else on their phone. Um, but one point I'd, I'd like to kind of challenge Sean a little bit on, and this is probably a great thing about the podcast, as he said, is he's not so worried about millennials, is I have a slightly different view in terms of millennials are, are the children of baby boomers. So mm -hmm. they are going to be inheriting you know it's probably a, a a term that probably people think that these people are younger than they actually are these days you know depending on you know the links you click on and when you go on google you can get different results so yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna argue about the yeah. precise definition of what a millennial is but certainly um if you think about you know, a 30 year age gap between mm. parent and child the likelihood is is yeah. that millennials are the children of of baby boomers. I think that's the point I was trying to make. Which would make them twenty nine to forty seven. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. So yeah, okay. no, the higher that's the point. The higher end of there would mm. still be in my target market to be considering that you've got to be ready for them or thinking about how you position yourself for mm. that. Um, yeah, I mean, because ultimately they're going to be the inheritance generation. Mm. So even thinking about it is important. And, it, and it's likely, depending on your, your client, that they could um, be a new client to you sooner rather than later, depending on you know, sometimes what happens. I still think the succession plan of the IFA business is massive in that. I'll never forget when I was told at the start of my career and as a 21, 22 year old advisor, really nervous, felt a lot of people more experienced, knew more than me. And then a client told me and said, look, um, you're gonna see me into retirement and probably death. <laughs> Um, so I like that you're younger mm. um, and it really, really boosted my confidence for the next, so straight away, I looked at it completely different for the next few years yeah. where even though it, it originally looked like a hindrance, it suddenly turned into a positive that, yeah, actually, yeah, he's got a point. He doesn't have to find another financial advisor because I will see him for another 20 years until he retires. Um, I think that's a, a big, big part of it. Yeah, I agree. And that's also a great note to end on. Thank you so much.